Welcome to episode one, a uh, new, new side project from Lima Time Time. Uh, this, this is not going to replace Lima Time Time. Uh, I'm hoping that Lima Time Time makes a comeback uh, at some point in the not too distant future. I am James. There is no Pat. Pat, uh, as of this moment, is not part of this particular venture, which uh, is known as the Michael Bourne identity. This is episode one. Uh, I'll introduce my guest here in a second. I'm just, just to explain kind of what I'm doing, I wanted to keep going with this. Four and a half years is a really long time to invest in Lima Time Time, and I just didn't want it to fade away. Uh, and I, I'm not going to say a negative word about about Pat, about about anything, about anybody, uh, except for Trevor Bauer uh, and Rob Manfred. However, uh, I wanted to keep it going. So, uh, so that's what this is. Uh, it'll be interviews with people that I want to talk to, uh, people that you know, people that you may not know, people that are famous, people who aren't famous. It it does not matter. Uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a ton of fun. My first guest, uh, if you don't know him, you're absolutely missing out. Houston legend. Uh, I've been I've been we, we've been Twitter friends for for a decently long time, uh, and I I respect what he has to say. So I thought I'd bring him on, ladies and gentlemen, Mister Roosh Williams. Hey, hey, man, what's going on? Glad to be here and excited to be guest numero uno. Oh, yeah. No, this is going to be awesome. So let's let's talk about, so you were, okay, you've done a, a, a ton of things. Like if you add up all of your experiences, uh, it feels like you should be about 115 years old. Um, there, There's a rap career, which, which I've been discovering recently. Uh, former educator, former uh, law student, not former law student, law student, um, it's, it's, it's actually, it's really cool. Like, it's just really cool to see kind of how diverse your background, uh, is what, what, like, what are you, so I guess let's start with what are you up to now? So first of all, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the perspective because when you're the one going through the experiences, it kind of feels like, I guess on the outside, it's like, Hey man, that's cool and diverse. And when you're going through it, it's just a constant, Oh God, it's a constant, oh God, what's next? You know, I don't know where I'm at. Um, right now I am, I'm an attorney. So I graduated from law school in 2019. Um, and I've been working as an entertainment attorney focusing uh, on music. So I do contracts for artists and producers and stuff like that. That's really cool. So, so how has what we've all been collectively going through since March with, with COVID, how has that affected, how has that affected you? How is that? I mean, we all know the entertainment industry is suffering. Um, I think everybody wants to just go to a concert, but you know, it, it's just, for, for me anyway, it's just not going to happen until, until there's a vaccine. Um, but, uh, so what, what's been your experience over the last eight months or so? Yeah. I mean, honestly, so touring has slowed down, obviously live events have slowed down. Um, but artists have found some artists at least have found ways to do things virtually. You know, there, there've been like the whole like versus thing. I don't know if you saw that on Instagram. Uh, where like producers and artists like battle with their greatest hits, you know, so there's like innovation in different in different areas. And then, um, I mean, at the end of the day, man, people are still people are still releasing music. So I'm still making contracts for, you know, for things like that. Um, I worked on a worked on a lot of stuff. Uh, one of our clients that I worked on was Public Enemy and the album's already dropped. So that's why I can mention it. But uh, Public Enemy put an album out recently. And so just for context and example, it's like, you know, Public Enemy's been around for decades and COVID's not stopping them from dropping new music featuring 
you know, Nas, Beastie Boys, uh, you know, just legends. So it's like things keep moving. People keep doing projects um, and it requires paperwork, you know? That's, <clears throat> that's really cool. Um, so before, so you, you sort of stopped or, or put your, your music career on hold to go to law school at, at USC. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. I, and I would say, I would say I stopped it. I mean, I was going hard and I was going really hard. And then I made like a full stop shift. Uh, you'll see me on Twitter every now and then, you know, rap do a little bit. I recorded some stuff the other day, actually, like two days ago, I recorded four songs. Um, so, okay. Maybe I didn't stop, but I stopped it as like a full pursuit, if that makes sense. Now it's just like a hobby. You know what I mean? It's just fun. Sure. And, and it's, I mean, the, the stuff that you, that you put out is, is, it's great. And, and I mean, I'm, I've have a, a ton of different kind of musical interests and, and um, I got, I got a chance to introduce my students to outcast uh, the last week. And like they'd never heard bombs over Baghdad. And I was like, how, how is, how is this? Well, I guess, if, you know, if, but if you were born in like 2000, you know, four, then, you know, you, it's, it's just before it's before their time. Um, what was your, I guess, what was your career highlight as a, as a musician? Like what was, what was the, the top, the, just that that's when you were like, this is, this is really cool. Yeah, man. I mean, okay. First of all, that's crazy. I was a substitute teacher and we can get to that later if you want, but I was a substitute teacher and I had, um, I was a sub in 2014 and 2015. So it was a while ago, but I had that same moment where like I would bring up a song and the kids would just have no idea what I was talking about. And it was kind of like a, wait a minute, how do you, you know, am I getting old? Like, Oh, I, <laughs> yeah. I am getting old. You know what I mean? Like one of those kinds of signs. So it's, it's crazy. It's crazy that they didn't know bombs over Baghdad. My pinnacle, man, it's hard to really, it's hard. I mean, I, I guess it would be when I was on Sway in the morning uh, in 2015, I went to New York, got invited to do Sway in the morning. If you, if you're familiar with Sway, yeah, what that is. Um, and so that was like a surreal moment for me. You know, I've met a lot of different people. I met a lot of people I respect looking up to and, and, and have looked up to as I was coming up. Um, but Sway was just one of those where I was like, yo, wow. And, you know, I was like, he, he's interviewing me. You know, I'm rapping on Sway. So that, that was a that was a big moment for me. And when I, I got the on the same day, actually, I was on the cover of the Houston Chronicle from my from my album at that time. Um, so I like I was getting texts and, and tweets and all that kind of stuff where I was on the cover of the Houston Chronicle and I was getting messages from like, you know, people out the woodwork like that had seen me on the Chronicle that like I hadn't spoken to in, in years at the time. And at the same time, we were like waiting in the Sirius XM lobby to go and swing in the morning. So it was just like a full, like a real moment for me. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, but but aside from like, uh, you know, I don't know, cool moments, or, or moments where I, I guess they felt surreal. It was just having fans is a, is a surreal thing. Um, being a human being that has fans as a result of just making some music, that experience in, in and of itself is like evolving. And like, it's just kind of crazy, you know, it's something like it's process. You don't really get to enjoy it until the process is over and you reflect on it. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally get that. And like there are people that that like me just through the <clears throat> through the blog and I'm like that's that's really weird like I just have a blog and I, I it's not even like original stuff like it's just linking to other people's stuff and and people like it and it's it's just really it's really weird you know to to sort of have that experience um 
you mentioned that, that you were an educator and you had something happen to you that absolutely terrifies the living daylights out of me. Because every now and then, like it, it, it's not hard to find out like my actual name. Um, and, and then it wouldn't be hard to figure out kind of where I, I teach and stuff. But, but every now and then, it's happened like twice. This is my seventh year teaching. And like twice, a student will, will send me an email like through the school email system or remind one of the school approved messaging apps and, and be like, hey, is this you? And, and it's something like Astros County or Lima Time Time or whatever. And I'm just like, no, uh, it's not. And I totally lied to him. See, yeah, that's it. I'm just like, no, that's not. That's that's a different dude. Uh, and it's it's somebody else. <laughs> um, but you had an you had an instance in which your students found your music, and it made it to the administration. Then we'll get into like sports stuff. I, I promise. But I, that that is so terrifying to me. Like I'm so afraid that one night I, I'm gonna have you know a few beers and I'm gonna get loose on Twitter and and I'm gonna. And someone's going to like email the principal. And I just, I'm so scared of that. What was that experience like? Yeah, man. Um, I'll walk you through it if you'd like, because it was, it was wild. Um, yes. So about seven months. Okay. Um, am I still with you, by the way? Are we good? Yep. You're good. So it lasted about seven, eight months. The first portion of that was at one school and then this incident happened. And then the second portion was at a totally different school, totally different circumstances, totally different experience. First school um, was River Oaks Baptist School, which is like <laughs> a private, it's a very nice posh private school in uh, River Oaks, right? Pre-K pre through eighth grade. Yeah, so River Oaks Baptist School, right? So like, I mean, at the time I was working, um, I was working at the Apple store I was doing like the typical artist thing, right? Like I was, I was just grinding in the day, recording at night, you know, taking extended vacations off to go on tours and to do press runs in LA and New York and whatever. And like, that was my life for like five years, you know, just a cycle of different periods of that. So at this point in the cycle, I was, I had, I was working at the Apple store. Um, actually I had just finished working at the Apple store. I tried a new job and that didn't work out. And so I didn't have a job as it was. I, and I was grinding. And so I was living in that area and I was like, yeah, man, I mean, while I'm trying to figure things out, I was just going to Uber, I was going to drive Uber and I was going to uh, substitute teach, right? Just to make some money and just, and just do my thing. And so the closest school that popped up was River Oaks Baptist School. Naively, honestly, I didn't really know what the hell it was. I was just like, all right, cool, that sounds good. You know, I'll just, like, I'll just apply. And I did, and obviously clearly upon upon pulling up, I realized like, yeah, this is a very, you know, this is River Oaks Baptist school. Like, oh, duh, River Oaks, you know, and I realized what it, what it was, um, but I got the job, whatever. And so I started, I started subbing there and I quickly became like the most popular teacher on campus, by far the most popular sub, right? Like sure. they loved me, you know, the people there loved me, despite the fact that in real life, they'd probably hate me, <laughs> you, know you know, so like I, I was in, in, I was in per. I was in perfect standing in the campus, man. Like, you know, the kids were like, oh, my real name is not, my real last name is not William. So they would call me by my, you know, my last name is Faye. And they'd say, oh, Mr. Faye, Mr. Faye, oh shit, Mr. <laughs> when I walk in there, I mean, they go crazy when like they found out I was subbing their class, you know? Um, so they loved me, man. And so I was there for about four months. I had literally just picked up like, I was like, every day I was in demand. Like the PE teachers were out for, I think two or three weeks. And like, I just got assigned to the whole thing for all the PE. Like I was booked up for the whole month. Like it was Mr. Faye, you need something, hit up Mr. Faye. Like they were talking to me about 
you know, hey, do you have a teaching background? Like all this kind of shit. And I was really at the time, I was like, yo, this is kind of fun, man. Like, I, I don't have a teaching background. I don't think I have the credentials. I think I'd have to get like the test pass. But I was considering that as like, wow, this might potentially this could be an option. You know? And um, yeah. And this was also around the time that I was starting to rank. This was also around the time I was starting to ramp things up with my album at that time um, that was leading up to Sway in the Morning and it was leading up to the Chronicle drop, all that. So I was really visible on social media. Obviously, you know, these kids didn't know my social media. The problem is when you sub, as I'm sure you've seen, um, they give you a name tag with your full name on it, right? So if my name was Bob Williams, my name tag said Bob Williams. It didn't say Mr. Williams, you know? And so right. one day I roll in, you know what I mean? I, I roll in, um, I had a show. I had a big show actually at House of Blues. I was doing a show with Wale, if you know who Wale is. Oh yeah. And it was being sponsored by Simple Mobile and it was just this big old thing. And I was like, huge show, House of Blues. So I was getting ready for that and I was posting about it a lot. And uh, that show I think was on a Saturday. So this is the Friday before. I walk in, um, I'm subbing. I go the whole day subbing school's out like last period whatever bunch of the eighth graders run into my class into my classroom and i was not subbing their class i was doing like sixth or seventh grade science or something bunch of the eighth graders run into my classroom and they just look at me and they go Roosh Williams. oh no and like that wasn't you know <laughs> yeah that wasn't how they knew me so i just immediately hit me i was like oh shit they found it. <laughs> like, fuck like i don't know what's you know what I mean? And so, but it, it was Friday. It was the end of the day. And so I was just like, I looked at him. I was like, yo, get out of here. Go home. Like, I'll talk to y'all later. So went home, heard nothing, did the show, whatever. Came back on Monday. Um, my, my day was starting that day by doing lunch duty. All right. So I roll into the cafeteria and one of the girls who was like an assistant or something, she wasn't a teacher, but she, she was like a, you know, 23 year old girl or something like worked there as an assistant with like the after school kids or whatever, she came up to me and she goes, Hey, did you know the kids found out that you rapped? Um, and I was just like, Oh <laughs> shit. And then, and then I looked at my phone, I looked at my Instagram and I just saw all these kids started following me. Like I recognized the names cause it was the kids. Oh no. And, you know? And I was like, Oh shit. And then they came in for lunch. This was, this was when I knew it was over. They came in for lunch <laughs> and they were, they were rapping one of my songs. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> they were like when i'm riding through my city i, I was just like oh <laughs> shit it's definitely over and then literally like 30 40 minutes later i got word i got word that you know they wanted they wanted to see me and you know they talked to me fired me on the spot and that was it um, no way so so yeah it is it is a nightmare and i learned from that yeah yeah i learned from that that um you know be careful with your shit <laughs> yeah Still, that's, I mean, and I guess, I mean, it's, it's different with it being a private school, like a private Christian school, like that, op they, they operate under a totally different set of rules uh, than I, I, and I teach at a, at a public school. So it, it's, it's totally different, but yeah, oh man, that's, that sucks. And, and like, yeah, but every time, like there's one former student I have that maybe the best student I've ever had uh, massive Rangers fan. Um, I, I taught and I taught him and he's like, he's one of those dudes that like never did his homework, but got a five on the AP US history test. Um, and, but, but he's like a huge baseball fan and, and he, he found out and <clears throat> he's since graduated and, and we, we still like interact and stuff. Uh, and I, I have the strict, like, 
we don't interact on any social media until after you graduated. Like it's, you know, let's do this. It's all by the book, but he, I think he's the only one who totally knows about Astros County and about all of this other stuff. And it's still like that, that the whole, the week after he started following me on Twitter, like I was so nervous just that, that something would, that someone would have, but he's, he's cool. He's (laughs) in college now. He's fine. But man, that's, that's, that's awful. Um, but also that's a good lesson uh, to kind of have in the back of your mind. Um, so let's talk sports. Uh, and I want to start with the Rockets. And I am, yeah. uh, I, I, I know about the, I appreciate basketball. It, uh, basketball is, is sort of like boxing to me and that I, I much prefer reading about it than I, than I, I, I'm, I, I enjoy reading about it more than I enjoy watching it. Um, <clears throat> And, but, but I, because of Houston Twitter and, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Pasadena. Um, You know, if I had an NBA team, it's the Rockets. Uh, Always, you know, I've been to, I've been to a couple games, not, not that many, but it feels like what the Rockets are going through now, it would, it would be like the equivalent of Jim Crane sold the, sold the Astros to Drayton McLean. Like it, it just feels like things have been bad uh, since, since Tillman, uh, took over. Am I, am I wrong? No, no, you are not wrong. Um, <laughs> we can talk all, we can talk all, all about Tillman for Teta. I mean, look, ownership dictates a lot in sports, you know, I mean, it's just like any other job or profession or industry or whatever, right? Like it starts from the top down culture is important. Leadership, frankly, is important, you know, attitude, like, uh, like Julius says, and remember the Titans, attitude reflect leadership, Captain, you know what I mean? So, Tillman Fertitta's attitude and his approach to leadership just hasn't been good. He's been, he's been running it like a restaurant, you know, cutting, cutting costs at the margins, not, not appreciating and understanding the intricacies that, that build into what the Rockets had, which was a title contender. Uh, little things like letting Trevor Ariza walk you know, it's like, um, to put it in Astros terms, it's kind of like, uh, it's not fair to say it's like losing a Charlie Morton. And I think it'd be understating it if I said it'd be like losing Marwin Gonzalez. But it's like losing that that utility, dependable person that that is like a glue piece that keeps things together. And he let sure. Trevor Ariza walk, you know, and and things unraveled from that moment, in my personal opinion. The, the Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul trade, Daryl Morey's team, it's on record, Daryl Morey's team, you know, felt like, they just didn't, they just felt like things were wrong to push the, to push the trade through. Like it didn't make sense from their perspective, complete sense. Tillman Fertitta came in, meddled and said, nah, ram it through, let's get it done. And his justification for that was he's just looking for that extra 5%. And that sounds good as a, as a sound bite, but it doesn't actually make any sense. Right. So little things like that, man, which, you know, compound and turn into big things. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have Mike D'Antoni walking out on the team, Daryl Morey all of a sudden quitting, which is which is a huge sign for the record because Daryl yeah. for Daryl Morey to volu- voluntarily leave James Harden is a tough thing. So just all these things that you know that are just piling on top of each other. So we'll see. So <clears throat> am I am I wrong? Because I mean, I and I followed, you know, just just because of of being a part of Houston Twitter, I guess uh, I I followed the you know because I'm still on Twitter even when it's ba- not baseball season. I'm on Twitter way too much more than I definitely is healthy. Uh, which I think can be said for all of us, <clears throat> but um, the, that like, yes, like the 20, 
<laughs> the 2018 Western Conference Finals. Is that the one where Chris Ball's hamstring was was jacked? Yep. Okay. So so it it just feels like the way that the Rockets didn't seem to win the an, an NBA championship. It, it it sort of mirrored. It, it's sort of like the how did you have. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander for two seasons and not come and, 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 and have Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander and Zach Grinke uh, in the rotation. You didn't win it in 2019. It just, it just feels like, and, and again, I'm, I'm sort of an outsider trying to stay conversational about the Rockets. Cause I know that's a huge part of people's lives. It, is it just one of those? They're like, man, it's the same thing with the Astros that if you don't run into a, a, a buzzsaw in in the ALCS in 2018. And if you don't lose the dumbest world series of all time in 2019, like you're, you're just right there. Is that what it, is that what it's like for a Rockets fan? Absolutely, man. It's like the one that got away. It's the few that got away. And I mean, honestly, it'd be like, so 2018, they didn't get it right. They deserved it. It'd be like, if you get to the freaking, well, it'd just be like losing freaking ver. Verlander or something like that, like a major piece, you know, that you cannot replace. And you know that you're going to get up against a team that you don't have uh, any room for error with, you know, and then the Rockets when Kevin Durant, so they faced Golden State again in 2019 and Kevin Durant goes down. Okay. The Rockets go down 2-0. The Rockets come back and tie it up 2-2. They're down by one point in the third quarter of game five and Kevin Durant gets injured and he's out for the rest of the series. Yep. And that was their moment. It'd be like if the Astros were down 2-0, right, which they were to Washington. They came back and took the lead 3-2. Let's just say they take the lead 3-2. And then Juan Soto goes down, and you're like, yo, this is it. We're about to do yeah. it. And then, no, you actually lose. And so it's just – it's, it's backbreaking. It's devastating. That and, and that's a result of things like letting Trevor Ariza walk, you know, for example. It just all it, – it's the golden era, and I think that people don't appreciate – how quickly windows close in professional sports, you know, mm-hmm. it's the best way I could put it. That was the Rockets window and it shut, it shut and sealed. And now, we're, you know, the talk goes from contending for a championship legitimately to, man, I hope we can get something good back for Russell Westbrook. And I pray James Harden doesn't leave, you know, so that's how quickly right. things turn. So do you think the Astros, where do you see the Astros window <clears throat> right now? You've got, you know, you're faced with the possibility and and maybe probability that George Springer won't be back. Uh, you've got McCullers and Correa for one more year guaranteed. Um, you've got Grinky for one more year guaranteed. Verlander's already out for all of 2021. But we but there was some positive things that we saw in in this shortened 2020 season. Like, where do you see the Astros window uh, right now? Man, I, so kind of in, in reverse to you, um, I follow the Rockets, like all games, all 82. I keep my pulse on the Astros. I try not to get too invested until they're good, you know? So over the last three years, I've been, I've, you know, I watch every game. That is but totally understandable. Before that, I, I keep my distance until they're good because I'm just so used, to, right? It's just like at some point with my lady specifically, I'm so into sports that I have to pick and choose what I'm going to, you know? Otherwise, I'll just be watching sports all day. <laughs> um, and so the Astros, the Astros are my sacrifice. Um, but again, except for the last several years, because when you have a championship team, I want, you know, I want to watch that team. Right. But where's their window? So I guess I say that to say I'm not as jaded as some people may be 
Um, whereas in the reverse, a lot of people are optimistic about the Rockets and I'm jaded about the Rockets. I'm like, nah, this is it. It's over. So <laughs> I think the Astros, <laughs> I think the Astros have a window, man. I mean, look, they ha- we have Altuve, Bregman um, under contract. I think Correa will get extended. George is gone. I've heard rumors that Brantley might be interested in staying. I don't know if that's financially feasible or possible. Um, obviously losing Verlander sucks. I think it'll be nice to get off of Greenkey's contract now that he's not like the dependable, not, not that he's not dependable, but you know, we're using him for like four, maybe five innings. And I think that what he's getting paid may not warrant that. Um, and we have Brent Strom, you know what I mean? We have, yeah. we have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent. Framber came alive, Christian Javier, uh, Inoli out of the bullpen. Like there's a lot of good young talent. Even Andre Scrub looked kind of decent, at least for, you know, regular season games. He had some big innings in the postseason. I thought, yeah. Um, so I think there's a window there because you have the all-star lineup. You have the heart of it still there. And if Jordan comes back healthy, which for the record, I would not bank on because shaky knees at a young age are never a good thing. Right. Um, but if Jordan comes back healthy, I mean, they have tons of hitting. Kyle Tucker has emerged, you know, like it's still, it's still a really good lineup. And I still, I still think they're really good defensively. I think you can replace George in the outfield adequately defensively um so yeah you know i I mean i don't know i I feel like get an ace if click can kind of if click can operate the way that he did or the way that tampa bay did and you can kind of keep top tier talent coming in without paying premium prices to make it work while we have the lineup that we have i think that they're still very competitive see the crazy thing to me is and what what i it's a really strange situation that that the astros find themselves in uh, all totally of their own doing. But, you know, one of the things that makes the Rays work uh, is that Kevin Cash thinks like the Rays do. Uh, you know, he, he, the man, the guy that pulled Blake Snell when he was dealing after, in, you know, game six after like 60-something pitches, uh, asked if he would do it again. He's like, yeah, yeah, I totally would. Um, and so Kevin Cash is the perfect manager for the Rays, you would not think that Dusty Baker would be the perfect manager for the analytical uh, Astros. I thought he did a, a pretty good job um, throughout this year, and I, I think that that picking up his picking up his option for for next season, so that he has <clears throat> he has another you know full season, ideally, if we all freaking wear a mask. Um, I, I think that that made a lot of sense. What was your thought? when when they hired dusty baker as somewhat of a of a not not necessarily an astros outsider but it's someone that's that that sort of looks at the astros the way that i i look at the rockets like oh yeah that's something i need to know about so i think are we good? Yeah. Are we good? Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry. I think that um, if I remember correctly, when they picked up Dusty Baker's option, it was still really early in the season, kind of almost too early to really have evaluated his performance up to that point. If I remember correctly. Yeah, no, that's I right. Thinking, okay, sure. You know, I guess. And, and then things got underway and I had a lot of questions about his decision, his decision making throughout the regular season. And I think a lot of Astros fans did. Um, there were just numerous things that he did that I just kind of disagreed with, felt different from when Hinch was around. 
But then when we got to the postseason, it all kind of fell into place. And I understood that he was managing for the regular season. And I thought he pulled the right strings and made the right calls for pretty much the whole postseason, I thought. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy. With it. I think it makes sense. I'm kind of sad because I think this year was his, his best year, his best opportunity out of the two, um, given that, you know, Springer is here and um, I guess Verlander got hurt, but theoretically – because Verlander was supposed to be around as well. Yeah. So I, I don't. I don't think. The, I don't think he'll be able to win his World Series. But um, yeah, you know, I think it'll be good to have him and then start fresh. I thought it was <clears throat> some of those those regular season decisions. Um, yeah, I I I found strange as well. Um, you know the the early season sort of reliance on Abraham Toro, who may turn out to be a a fantastic player. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, But, but, you know, that, but I also, then I started thinking like, okay, you've got Dusty Baker. He, you got six innings out of Justin Berlander and he gets, and, and he tears something. You got four and a third innings out of Roberto Osuna. uh, And, and he's shut down uh, as well. At that point, I think, you know, and, and Verlander made one start. I think Osuna made it a week, maybe a, maybe 10 days before he had to get shut down. At that point, your game, the, the game changes from, you know, let's win as many games as we can to we got to keep these dudes from getting hurt because, you know, we had spring training for three weeks and then shut down for four months. And then we're told, you know, get ready, you know, because we're starting in like three weeks, no matter what. Uh, and, and it was clear that injuries were going to be a, we're going to play a massive factor, not so much with, with offensive players, but, w- but with, with pitchers. So for every, you know, inning, every just crazy inning that size need pitched, that was one less inning that somebody else that maybe, and not to, I'm not trying to trash size need, but that, that's a valuable inning. Those, those are three valuable outs that he gets that somebody else doesn't have to get, um, and it was it was weird seeing the the team go from we don't throw anybody we don't throw the same guy three days in a row uh, for for two months essentially, <clears throat> and and then go to a postseason where there are literally no days off, uh, and you just don't have that luxury anymore. And it's almost like using the regular season as a spring training, and the postseason became you know the the regular season. Um, it was. Was there a point during the postseason where you thought, okay, the the Astros can actually do this, or were were you just sort of like, now nah, we're playing with house money here. Let's let's just see what we can get. Um, did you say during the postseason or during the regular season? During the postseason, I don't think anybody, I don't think if anyone looked at the regular season and thought this is an this is a World Series contender, you you are legitimately need to go get evaluated for for mental health. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say my answer in the, in the regular season would be a fat no. Um, in the postseason, <laughs> yeah. in the postseason, yeah. I mean, look, when they got past uh, Minnesota, they kind of it didn't feel it. It just felt shaky. It felt like it felt like the regular season. There wasn't hitting. There wasn't enough yeah. hitting to win, you know. And then once they started going bombs away on the A's, I thought, yes. yo, I think they can actually do this, you know. Um, and then again, like that same kind of feeling, right? They go down 1-0, 2-0, 3-0 to Tampa, and you're thinking with each loss, you're thinking, okay, there's a 
an increasingly worse chance that this team can actually do it. Then when they came back three, three, I kind of felt like the butterflies like, yo, I think this might be like the Cinderella story kind of thing, you know? So um, it ebbed and flowed, but at the end of the day, man, and I take this from, from following the Rockets for so long. Um, when you have a championship team that's done it, that like generic saying it's in your DNA. I think there's something to that. Cause when you, cause I see it with those Astros, right? Like they are champions and they play like it, you know? For sure. No, that, that's a really good point. And I, I'm in the same boat. Like I was fully prepared for Minnesota to, <clears throat> to win that, that weird wild card series, just because like they couldn't get the hit. Um, and they didn't get that. I feel like Minnesota more lost that, that wild card series than the Astros necessarily wanted, even though the pitching was absolutely fantastic. Um, then they just massacred the A's, which was great. I mean, who doesn't love to see that? And, and it, that was the point for me where I was like, okay, that was awesome. no, that was, you know, it's great. The, uh, you know, the, the, this is a, this is a team that remembers what it's like to, to do this sort of thing. Um, then they go down 3-0 and it's super like every game's super close and the, the breaks just don't go the Astros way. They won the fourth game and I was like, all right. And they won the fifth game. I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'll, I'll watch that one Red Sox 30 for 30 uh, again tonight. Um, and they won the, they won game six and, and it, it just feels like to, to be one of the, I mean, there, there's only two teams in major league baseball history that have, that have gone down three Oh and a best of seven and forced a game seven. Uh, you know, I was like this, this, and, but I guess part of me should have just known like if any, if any franchise is going to lose game seven after battling back from three Oh down, it's, it's going to be the Astros. And it's not just this team. It's just like what this franchise has done to all of our collective psyches. Uh, it just, it just feels, it's too, it feels too perfect. Like what happened, what happened to the Astros in the, in the ALCS, but ultimately two seasons in a row, you came one game short. Like you, you know, you, you lost, you know, every home game in the, in the 2019 world series, you battled back from three Oh down to force a game seven it is, <laughs> would you say the Astros are, are they cursed? Like, what is this? Is this just car like baseball karma? Like what, what is it? What is it with the Astros? Well, I'll say this. Um, I don't think like, I think there's a duality with, with this specific Astros, with this specific iteration of the Astros from 2017 up through 2020, right? There's a duality between uh, Houston sports, which like classically and epically will let you down all across all three major sports, you know, <laughs> right. Texans 24-0 blowing it. Oilers to Buffalo blowing yep. it. Uh, the Rockets blowing it, you know, just over and over. Um, so, so there's that aspect of the duality. And then the second prong of that is that the 2017 Astros dispelled all of that, you know, down three, two to the Yankees. Boom. Come back and win it. Uh, game five of the 2017 World Series, down 4-0 to Kershaw, tie it, down 7-4, tie it. You know what I mean? Like, they just never quit, and they really yep. embodied that. Um, I, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, was it 2017 where they had that, like, nine-run or seven-run inning against the Twins or something like that? That was 2017, um, yeah, Memorial Day. Or maybe it was 2017. Yeah, so, like, like they, they were that team. They embodied that. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, specifically through this a ALCS, I kept going back and forth with, okay, Houston sports, there's no way they do this, right? And then 
man, but these Astros have always been different. And like, I, I would tweet that a lot, you know, like I never count these guys out. And that's part of the reason I love them. Um, they really, in a lot of ways to me, mirror the, the Rockets championship teams from the nineties. Like those guys pulled it out, you know, heart of a champion, like that whole um, mantra. That's what these Astros are. And then to answer the other part of your question with like, yo, are they cursed because they've come so close? I think that their story has been one from 2017 through 2020. It's been one of, you know, how do I say pretty much teams that are the greatest in their right. They, they have one title and they came very close to their titles and they reasonably lost Washington. You just got to tip your cap the way that the Astros played that world series. They had an amazing roster and they lost. Are they cursed? Eh. And Hinch should have put Garrett Cole. Good Lord. I don't know why he didn't, but <laughs> you know, beyond, beyond that, like they just lost to a team that, that played very well, you know, uh, 2018, they just got hurt. Charlie Morton got hurt. Altuve was hurt. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr. went Super Saiyan. Oh, God. And Joe West decided to, you know, intervene quite a bit. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think they're cursed. I think they're damn good. Um, and they got one. And we could talk about the merits of that if people want to. But they got one. And they were really close to another. And I think that if you look through history, you see a lot of teams that kind of have that pattern. A lot of the teams that won one. That's a that's a very pragmatic response, and that that might just be the perspective I needed on what I believe today is the one year anniversary of the of the Mike Fires report dropping in the Athletic. Uh, so that that's a really good that's a really good sort of uh, closing segment. Uh, is Mike Fires a rat, or did, did he did he do the the game of service? Is he a rat or did he do the game a service or disservice? A, a service. Did he did he benefit the game or is he just a freaking rat? And he's a rat. He's a freaking <laughs> rat. And let me tell you, if you want to have, I would love to have this discussion, especially as someone who's, especially as someone who's not a baseball traditionalist. I think that the clashing perspectives of like baseball traditionalists and then people like me is really interesting. It's, and it's like embodied by the sign stealing scandal, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I actually, it's, it's weird. My, I have a, a my cousin uh, teaches a sports and ethics class at a, at a small college in Michigan. Uh, and it just worked out that this week, like I was, a, I got brought in by a zoom to, to talk about the Astros and the, the sign stealing scandal. And uh, I, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure why. Uh, I, I got asked to speak to a college class about this, but whatever. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was basically me and like the college is in Michigan. So it's a bunch of like tigers and, and also like Yankees fans. And they were just mad as hell. And by the time I got done, they were like, you know, I, I kind of get it. Like, I, you know, yeah, no, they were, they were going 90 and a 75, but they didn't kill anybody. And, you know, would I have done the same thing? Yeah, probably. Like it was, it, it, it wasn't their, their response was, was more, uh, no, I, I sort of understand. I don't like it, but I, I kind of get what they were doing. Um, I, I just don't, obviously, you know, it, it's not good for baseball, but, but I just don't feel, ah, I don't know. I don't want to come out and say like, it wasn't that big of a deal because it was, but it wasn't. you're not a, you're not a traditionalist. How do you, I mean, I, 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 I sort of am, Kind of. I don't think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame, but I do think Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens should. Um, 
I just, so how do you, how do you feel like, what was you, what was your thought as a non-traditionalist about, you know, what, what we've seen happen basically over the last 365 days? Man, thank you for asking that question. Cause I would love to talk about this. And if I go too long and you want to interject, feel free. I have many, many scattered thoughts on this. Cause I, I absolutely just not. I will not interject. That's <laughs> it. That's the only interjection. There you go. I find it so interesting because baseball is a sport. Look, baseball was not one of my favorite sports growing up. And I regret deeply because I have grown a sincere appreciation for how beautiful of a game it is. And frankly, I think I was pretty good at it had I played from a young age, but Regardless, um, baseball is inherently subject to cheating, you know, like cheating is inherent in baseball. You try to get signs, even if it's legally with someone on second base, pine tar is pretty much just accepted, which blows my mind. Cause that's like a, it's a, it's a substance that alters the trajectory <laughs> of the, the object of the game, which is the baseball, yep. um, blows my mind. And then you have, come on steroids, like steroids don't help you in basketball, you know? If anything, they might hurt you because they make you subject to injury and you're just like, you don't get a benefit from being jacked playing basketball, you know? Yep. Um, obviously, there are different types of steroids, so you can argue that. But even then, it like, doesn't really do anything for you in basketball. Football, maybe. I don't know. Um, so there's all, these, there's all these levels to cheating, right? And then on top of all of that, there is a very clear, very, very clear history of science being stolen in real time by someone who was not on second base clear history dating back from from what i've seen as far back to i think the 40s or the 50s um yeah the, the 1951 binoculars or whatever it was like you know flagging an outfield or yeah, no, the, the 1951, uh, the Giants, the famous, the shot heard around the world, maybe the fo the most famous home run in, in baseball history. Uh, Bobby Thompson won the pennant with a home run that he got signaled from the, you know, basically from center field, like this is the pitch that's coming and he hit it, he hit it out and everyone loves it. So yeah, no, this is a very long documented history of stealing signs. Yeah. And so, um, and in addition to that, I was reading a story, I think, from, <clears throat> excuse me, from the same time era about someone, a player, <clears throat> one second. <clears throat> a player named George Kell um, for the Chicago White Sox, who did the same thing. And I think he got traded. And I think he took what he was doing and to another team. And so, so yeah, let's go back to these. Um, I think the Mets. I think the 79 or 80 Mets also had a camera placed um, in center field on the, on the catcher and they would flash a green light or something like that to, to signal like off speed or whatever. So it's been happening. You have former players, Logan, I forget his last Morrison. name, Logan something. He's a pitcher. I think um, he's talked about how this thing, this stuff has been happening. He's seen it happen firsthand. So it just blows my mind. Oh, and then obviously you have the league cracking down on the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Yankees in 2017. The only the only distinction being that supposedly, allegedly, the Astros were the only team that did not stop after 2017. Right. So you have all these levels that are just ridiculous that people that people don't ever take the time to parse through, and frankly don't care for. You know, they just say, "Oh, you're a cheater." And then and then on top of all of that, right? There's the history, which to me, decades long, you know, almost a hundred years of just like, "Hey." 
this has been happening. It's a part of your game. Nothing's ever been done about it. Nothing has been legislated by the league or, or you know, the commissioner, nothing. Okay. So it's a part of your game. And then, and then on top of that, um, I, again, I did not play baseball, but I just think knowing what I know about playing sports in general, it's rhythm based, right? Hitting is all, it's a, a lot of, it's about timing. A lot of it's about rhythm. Yeah. If you know, it's coming, yada, yada, yada. Sure. Sometimes though, you're wrong. Sometimes the sign is wrong. Sometimes this, the pitch does not, you know, come at you the way that the sign intends, like the way it was called to come at you. Sometimes you're just better with your natural timing and skill that you've been spending years developing and you don't need to rely on the sign. So I say all that to say, I don't know if it makes you better. Like it might make you better in specific at bets, but does it make you better over the course of, you know, a full season? If we look at the home and road splits, which I'm, which I'm sure you've seen, um, the Astros batted better across pretty much all major metrics on the road in 2017. That's a fact, right? Did they during yeah. the postseason? No. Is that like a 18 game sample? Yes. It's an, you know what I mean? So it's like, all of those factors, when you think about it logically and you think about it pragmatically, did it help? And then when I compare it to steroids, which has been given a complete pass in relation to the sign stealing scandal, steroids, um, like, like sign stealing, you can block once you figure it out or once you think something's suspicious or even preemptively, if you think something could potentially be suspicious, you have different signs, you have backups, whatever you can, you can get around that. Steroids and pine tar, you cannot get around. If I decide to, you know, get some pine tar off my brim and put it on the ball and throw it, you have to deal with that. There's no way you can avoid that. If I'm juiced up on roids and my bat makes contact with the ball you threw at me, you, you have to deal with that. You cannot defend against that. So I just think that there are so many other levels of cheating that are so much more egregious than sign stealing and everyone, you know, there's other people in the league doing it and there's evidence of it happening. And so none of it matters to me, honestly. I don't, I don't care about it at all. It does not make me any less disappointed in the 2017 World Series, truly. I love it. That That is a fantastic way to end this. Roosh Williams, you're a freaking legend. Uh, congratulations on, uh, on, on having so many experiences that you are now 130 years old. You are a god among men. Uh, I appreciate you being on. Like it was, this was a, a very fun hour uh, that we had, uh, and <clears throat> I'm looking forward to to talking to you further uh, and on down the road and seeing you on Twitter. Uh, I wish nothing but the best for you, and uh, you know, just appreciate your time. Hey, likewise, man. Thanks for having me on. Honored to be guest number one. Like I said, uh, number one. Been chatting really, number one. Uh, really. We got to do this. And for anyone listening, if you want to find me at Roosh Williams, R-O-O-S-H Williams. Got that verified check mark. He's he's legit, legit. So uh, <clears throat> definitely worth your time. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, let's do this again here very soon.